This morning, I want to share some thoughts with you. I want to encourage you to share this message when you either you can share the live feed now or you can share it later on if it's not possible for you to do it now. Diversity, inclusion, and identity. Diversity, inclusion, and identity. How many's ever heard any of those phrases? Diversity, inclusion, and identity. The term diversity, inclusion, and identity are terms that are widely discussed across social media, organizations, employers, as well as individuals. And many times we hear them presented as inseparable ideas that are linked or fused together. But today I want to separate each of these terms and bring out what the scriptures reveal to us about these terms and about these ideas. As I previously mentioned, I like really to go into the old dictionaries to look up meanings for words because I think that sometimes the meaning changes through the course of time. And I have a dictionary that I use many times. It is uh, <coughs> made in the 1800s. And sometimes I have to go back and look up words they use to define the words because um, I don't know what those words mean either because I don't speak in that term. But how many know that if you look up enough words, you get the idea of what's meant? Diversity means this. It means difference or dissimilitude. That's, I had to look that one up. Which means unlikeness. It means distinct or different, separate, not the same in number or kind, being a person or opposed to sameness. That's really what diversity means. In modern dictionaries, when you look this up, this is what you find. The condition of having or being composed of differing elements, variety, especially the inclusion of people of different races, cultures, etc. in a group or organization, the practice or quality of including, uh, including or involving people from a range of different social and ethnic backgrounds of, and of different genders, sexual orientations, etc., so the modern dictionaries have moved from basic definition to proposing really what diversity should be. Diversity simply means something different between one and another. That's the basic and true definition of what diversity means. How many know we are all diverse? None of us are exactly the same. I want everybody to look at your thumb right now. And you look at your thumbprint. How many can see? Now, some of you have to get your readers out to see your thumbprint. But look at your thumbprint right now. And I want you to say this. I am somebody special. I know that was cheesy, but there is no two fingerprints that are exactly alike. We're all different. We're all diverse. Some of us may be less diverse uh, while others may be more diverse or different. Look at the person next to you and say, you are different. One company even coined the phrase that different is good. 
I will confirm this. Different is good. Different is absolutely good. Diversity is great. And I'm talking about the true definition of diversity. If all of us were exactly the same with the same experiences, background, and upbringing, even the almost identical cultural heritages, we would not accomplish nearly as much as we would by being diverse or being different. What do you mean by that? How many of you heard this? You can't understand someone until you've walked a mile in their shoes. This means that we cannot have the correct and accurate perspective of others until we can relate to their experiences through relationships with them or when, or when we have walked where they have walked. Uh, we don't have any business saying, I know how you feel unless you have been through what they have been through. It's just common sense. We don't know how someone else feels unless we talk with them or unless we've experienced that same thing in our lives. Have you ever heard of the term brainstorming? Brainstorming. Sure, you have a group of people together and they work together to, dis- to solve a problem or discuss a plan. Uh, we have brainstorming sessions when we meet for our outreach planning and we throw out different things. Diversity matters. Different points of view. Then we have an epiphany. That's a great idea. I would have never thought of that. How many have ever had that? Somebody comes up with an idea. And I got news for those of you who who may think you have all the answers that all the good ideas are not going to come from you. Some people think that just because I'm the pastor of the church that all the good ideas are going to come from me. I got news for you. It ain't happening. (laughs) I'm here to preach the word of God and and to lead the best way that I can And I believe that God brings many ideas through a variety of sources and I'm not going to be the only answer and the solution that this church is going to have. Because if you depend on me, you're going to be disappointed in some measure or some facet of life. I have the capability to disappoint. I have the capability to do something that that is is not in alignment with with, maybe uh, what would be the best decision to make. Sometimes I've made some doozies in my time. And I'm uh, like Pastor Bill says, I'm probably not the only duck swimming in that pond. (laughs) Why does diversity matter? Because of the diversity of individuals. This is really a hot topic in the workplace. They want a range of different ideas from different perspectives and viewpoints that make a meaningful difference. How many know Jesus knew about diversity? Just look at his disciples. Matthew chapter 10, verse number 1. Jesus called his 12, his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. So in this group, you had a tax collector, you had fishermen, you had people who had, you had a guy that had problems handling money, you had some that were identified as brothers, um, as well as there's various other types, some that we don't know about. But there was a diverse group in the twelve. Outside of the twelve, Luke was even mentioned as a medical doctor. Luke was even a medical doctor and a renowned historian, and God used them all in their different 
walks of life, their different experiences, their diversity to put forward the plan of God and establish His church. While some had things in common, they were different and diverse. The church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be diverse. We're supposed to be different. Not all of us are the same. It's human nature to seek out relationships with people with whom we have things in common. That's why we have groups that focus on, you know, there's some, some people say, well, I like to play games, so I'm going to go to this gaming group that I like to play games with people. Some people will say, I like to fish. I'm going to hang out with people that like to fish. <laughs> um, some people will do different things and, and enjoy different, you know, I, I, like, uh, I like to go to this kind of event or I like this kind of interest. And how many can relate to that? And you find commonality and it, it's easy to talk to people who have common interest with you. And so consequently, if we're not careful, we can surround us, we can surround ourselves in relationships with people who have a lot of common interest that we have. There's nothing wrong with that. But when's the last time that we had a relationship with somebody who we had nothing in common with? When's the last time? I want you to think about it. Now, maybe it was recently, and I hope so. Sometimes we look at people that are different from us and we think, uh, okay, uh, but I believe we need to broaden our horizons. I believe that we need to include others with which we have little in common in our circle of relationships. We need to branch out. Well, Pastor, I just don't talk to new people. Um, do you have friends? That friendship started because somebody talked. Whether it was you or them. Um, we just heard about an encounter the other day. Now, I don't know that that might develop into a friendship, but if they ever cross paths again, then that might happen. Friendships happen because of a lot of reasons and not necessarily because of the commonality of what we do and what we enjoy in life. I believe that we will make the most impact for the kingdom of God as we allow ourselves to be, number one, led by the Holy Spirit, and number two, become friends with others who are different from us. Different is good. Then we move on to inclusion. Inclusion means to confine within, to hold, or to contain as the shell of a nut includes the kernel. A pearl is included in a shell, like you have a pearl that's included in the shell. Of the, that's inclusion, so it's within, one, something within another. Modern dictionaries say this. The action or state of including or being included within a group or structure. The practice of, or policy of providing equal access to opportunities and resources for people who might otherwise be excluded or marginalized, such as those who have physical or mental disabilities and members of other minority groups. That's modern dictionaries. Again, they've moved from basic defining to what they feel like inclusion should be. We all have the desire to want to be included. How many know that? We have the desire to want to be included. How many of you love to be excluded from things? Yeah. How many love to be told, well, you can't do this because of whatever the reason is? How would it be at a gathering that we say, everybody can come over, but over here 
and except for you. And we're going to talk about this or work on that. We don't want you to be a part of this. Oh, it would make you feel great, wouldn't it? No, not really. How would that make you feel? It would make you feel horrible. It's like, what, you know, did I, did I use deodorant or what? I mean, you know, what's going on? Why, why do I not get to be included in this? If the statement is, well, everybody who has this viewpoint, we want to gather and discuss a project with this goal in mind. Those who gather can absolutely be diverse in every other way. However, they share the common view. And that's a common thing. It's like, well, y'all are going to talk about this, and I don't mind being excluded because that's not something that interests me. But it includes others that are interested in that topic. But here's the progressive inclusions perspective. Even if I don't share your viewpoint, I want to be a part. Then the group may say, well, okay, you're welcome to join us. And the next step becomes, um, well, I think this group needs to change your views to accommodate my views. There may be a lively discussion about this and decisions may be made. Uh, to alter views so that others feel more included. There will be some that may not like the new focus and leave the group, while others may embrace the change. In human activities, this kind of discussion happens across the land on a regular basis. It really goes back to the beginnings of our country, discussion and debate about topics that are relevant to everyday life, as well as how our governments run, uh, opinions change, new ideas are formed, new topics and goals are established. It, is, it sounds innocuous enough, right? Most of the time it probably is because it involves topics that do not have eternal significance. I want to draw a distinction between things that have eternal significance and things that do not. The problem is, is that when the, cult, when the cultural progressive inclusion is thrust upon the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ, what will we do about that? Will we change to accommodate our views? Many have already done this. While views can change as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a mandate to stay true to the Word of God. Amen. Because the Word of God never changes. Uh -huh. Now, if you base your life on something that changes all the time and is subject to opinions and ideas, and well, I've evolved to believe this, uh, and it goes against the Word of God, then you're not basing what you have on the Word of God. If there is no map or road map or guide to how you live your life, then how you uh, decide to live your life and formulate your opinions goes into a, an area of uh, constant change. And I'm so glad that in a world today where everything seems to be changing, that there is a constant that is the Word of God that I know will never change. I know that Jesus Christ will never change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We believe this. I want you to. Uh, I think we've got this on the. Uh, I don't know if I put it on the screen or not, but we believe this. The word the, that the scriptures, both Old and New Testament, are verbally inspired of God. They are the revelation uh, of God to man, the infallible, authoritative rule of faith and conduct. That's one of our fundamental truths. We believe this book 
is infallible. We believe this book is authoritative and it is our rule and roadmap of life of how we're going to live, how we're going to behave, how we're going to walk in our, in our daily lives and anything that we do against this book puts a blight on the blood of Jesus Christ in our lives but not upon its effectiveness everywhere else. We allow uh, we allow the blood of Jesus to cover our sins, wash them away completely, never to be remembered against us again, and then we walk true to the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This Word is God-breathed. It is God-inspired. 2 Peter 1.21 says, Prophecy for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets through human, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The people who wrote this book were inspired of the Holy Spirit to write what they wrote. When any viewpoint is contrary to the Word, we cannot accept, embrace, or condone this view. To do so would be to dishonor God and present a watered-down false sense of security to others by letting them believe that sin is okay when nothing could be further from the truth. There are people that are on their way to hell, and I believe that there are people who call themselves ministers of the gospel who are on a special, a, a special place they're destined for a special place in hell that I believe burns hotter and longer than anything could ever they could think of because they are knowingly leading people astray and causing people to believe that they're okay and that, that uh, the parts of the Bible that they endorse are in agreement with how they've lived. They've even twisted and contorted the Word of God to say... It's okay. We're going to allow you to feel included. May I tell you that how we feel has little to do with our eternal life. How we feel has nothing to do with our eternal life because feelings can be contrary. Feelings can be can lead us in different directions. But what we know is true is the Word of God in this book and it will always stand the test of time and it will always point us in the right direction. So when we say we have faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, it is the authoritative rule of faith and conduct for how we choose and how we will live our lives. We can take it to the bank regardless of how we feel. God is a God of inclusion. Not in the popular cultural context, but as a heavenly Father who always loves and he seeks to include everyone, regardless of their status, their background, or their circumstance, or their heritage. God seeks to include everyone. Jesus said this, speaking of himself in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's what he came to do. What did he seek to save the lost from? From the penalty of sin which, which results in eternal damnation and torment in a place called hell that was never intended to be inhabited by humans. That's what he came to save people from. But feelings can cause us, and that's what the Word of God says, but feelings can cause us to say, well, I want God to include me 
And I want it to be on my terms. I want it to be the way I want it to be. And God is not a God that will honor our selfishness. He will never honor that. If it, go, if it goes against the Word of God, He says, no, you have to come to me on my terms. Some people think that just because um, there hasn't been heavens opened up and fire come down and judged people for their sin, then I, I just want to pause right now and tell you that some people say that the judgment of God has come upon a particular region or particular area and that these natural disasters, and I've spoken on this before, these natural disasters are because these people are, are far from God. These things that happened in New York City with the floods and all that kind of stuff, they were, oh, it's an ungodly city. Let me tell you something, that is a lie. That is not the judgment of God. Because when judgment of God comes, it comes only to the wicked. And it comes. It doesn't affect anybody who is righteous. That's how the judgment of God works. So if, if there was not one righteous person affected, then maybe I could lean that way. But I know that there were people affected that weren't, uh, that were both righteous and unrighteous. But just because sin seems to have been allowed to go rampant and it seems to have been on the forefront and everyone wants to be included and I want to be included in this and I want you to include me because see, it's not enough. It's not enough for me to feel like um, I, 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 I want to be included in my group. I want to be included in your group. I want to be included in the church. I want to worship God. Well, if you wanted to worship God and if you wanted to be included in, in, in the church... I'm talking the true church of Jesus Christ, then you have to accept what the Word of God says. Amen. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you. How many know He's patient with you? Yes, he Folks, He is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish. What credit is it to anyone if they allow themselves to be included into a place that doesn't believe the whole of the gospel of Jesus Christ and they say, well, we all feel good about who we are and we all feel good about us coming together and singing songs out of a hymn book and raising our hands and stuff like that. But let me tell you something, that will not guarantee your salvation. The only thing that causes you to be saved is the blood of Jesus Christ washing your sins away, never to be remembered against you again. That is it. And he says, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. There must be a place and a time of repentance for everyone who seeks a relationship with God. And if you're only meeting and you're only having church with people, I say church in quotations, if you're only having a gathering of people who are who are are pretending to worship God, but yet they're not repentant. They are not worshiping God. They are worshiping something else and that something else is anything but God. What does repentance mean? It means that we are sorry for sinning against God, for making life choices that are against the Bible, for behaving in such a way and choosing to act in such a way that we walk against what the Word of God says then what happens, we're, 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 
turn, we turn from Jesus for forgiveness from those sins and then from then on we continually walk toward Jesus and we leave the sin behind because He saves us from our sin, not in our sin. He doesn't want you to stay in sin. So if you want to be included in the followers of Jesus Christ, then you've got to say, I will only be included if I say I'm going to repent and leave the sin and walk away. Well, preacher, everybody's got to sin. No, everybody doesn't have to sin. You don't have to sin. Sin is a choice. Amen. You can choose whether you sin or you don't. There's a powerful story. I don't have time to read it all because I'm only a little more than halfway done. John 4, chapter 4. It says, Now he, talking about Jesus, had to go through Samaria. Jesus went totally against the culture of the day. The mindset of racism that says we are Jews and we will not have any contact with Samaritans. There was even the opinion that we hate Samaritans just because they're Samaritans. Do you know that there are people today that say they hate or they won't have anything to do with others just because of the color of their skin? There are people that are like that, unfortunately. There are people who struggle with only associating with people of their own ethnicity. And that they will only affiliate with others, not in their realm or, or their circle, if they have to. They go out of their way to promote their group as superior and will only be satisfied if others will recognize them, their agenda, and self-elevation. Jesus had an encounter with a Samaritan woman at the well because He was seeking out the lost. Regardless of who the Samaritan people were or thought to be, Jesus had a mission to seek out the lost. Here's what happened after Jesus revealed that He was a Messiah to the woman. And then the woman went and told the townspeople about this encounter that she had with Jesus in verse 39 of the same chapter. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to Him, they urged Him to stay with them. And He stayed two days because of His words. Many more became believers. You see, Jesus' mission was to tell them about God. Jesus' mission was not to go to them and say, I want to include you in my group of followers. You don't have to do anything except just hang out with us and it'll be okay. That's not what He did. He told them about the truths of God. And how He was the Messiah, the Anointed One. And they can only have that living water if they trusted in Him. He didn't try to convince the Jews or the Samaritans they were right or wrong in this generation's long animosity. Another story, Acts chapter 10, verse number 9. Again, the whole story encompasses more than I'm going to read today, but it's pretty lengthy. Acts 10, 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He had become hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. 
It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stomped at the gate. Verse 22, the men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Verse 25, as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell on his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up, stand up. He said, I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, listen to this. You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. Meaning that you're not part of our group. You're in that area that I'm not supposed to have anything to do with you. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Meaning that God Himself had told Peter in this vision and He said, I want you. This is what He said. This is not something that you're, you're supposed to be doing. So I was sent so when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was at my house praying at this hour, three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer. And remembering your gifts to the poor, send a Joppa for Simon who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately and it was good for you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears Him and does what is right. How many know that God does not show favoritism? Amen. He does not show favoritism. He looks at us and He sees His creation. He doesn't see any ethnicity. He doesn't see any life situation that causes you to be a less recipient of His love. He loves us all. This is the perfect example of God's inclusion. God does not show partiality or discrimination toward anyone regardless of who they are or where they came from. I want you to look at verse 35. It says, but know this, He can only accept the one who fears, meaning that they reverence and they honor and respect Him who does what is right which means living by the Word of God and not our own desires. So He, he, um, he accepts people. He's a God of inclusion, but He's able to accept people in fellowship with Him when they honor Him and they reverence Him and they, um, they do what is right, which means living by the Word of God. 
So the reverse of that is, is we can't be included in fellowship with God or the true church of Jesus Christ in a deep relationship in fellowship with God unless we're willing to do what is right, to live by the Word of God. God is a God of inclusion. And lastly, we move on to identity. Identity means this, the fact of being who or what a person or thing is. The fact of being who or what a person or thing is, identity. But modern dictionaries say this, the distingui- it says this, the distinguishing character of person or person of an individual. Um, your identity is simply who you are. Who you are. Not who you made yourself to be, but who you are. Many people believe that identity is, or who they are, is the color of their skin. They believe that it's a polit- the political party to which they belong. Or to the ideology of others with whom they have relationships. That's what some people tie their identity to. There is no question That all of these things, including your environment, either now or from your childhood on, have played a part in shaping your ideas, your beliefs, and your outlook on life. They absolutely have. But if you strip all of that away, you're just left with you. Just you. The person who you are when nobody else is around. When you're not influenced by other people, just when you're by yourself who you are. Your identity is based on the true facts found in the Word of God. What facts are you talking about, preacher? Genesis 1.27, So He created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. You were created in the image of God. You were created either male or female. These are indisputable facts. Your identity is based on fact, not fiction. Fiction is, I will attempt to change God's creation into what I want it to be. Facts about your identity from the God-inspired writings of David in Psalm 139, verse 13. For you created, talking to the Lord, you created my inmost, inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Mm -hmm. My frame was not hidden from you while I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Your identity has already been planned out by God. Even long before your life began. He knew you intimately before you were born. That just blows my mind. Fiction is believing that as I decide who I am, I will figure out my plan for my life. That's fiction. For those who turn toward Jesus and follow Him, here's the most important fact. 2 Corinthians 5.17 
Therefore, if anyone, everybody say anyone, anyone, is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. There is a new identity that is established. There is a new character and a new nature. The old has gone. The new is here. If you choose to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Why is this important? When your identity is in Jesus Christ, everything sinful in your old identity is gone. And the old identity is put aside, put away. And you put on your new. You take it off, just like an article of clothing. You take off your old identity and you put on the identity of Jesus Christ. Because your identity is in Jesus Christ alone. And I would submit to you today today, that Jesus alone is enough. Jesus plus anything else will not work. Jesus alone. This means that all the walls of prejudices, pride and hurtful past get buried as you remove the old identity and you put on the, identi- the new identity of Jesus Christ. We can then live in our Christ identity to make a difference for God and not have our own self-elevation agenda. We can have the agenda of the Lord God Almighty through the power of Jesus Christ to touch others' lives and to transform others' lives as He has ours. We won't go off in a different direction trying to promote some cause that has no impact eternally except perhaps to to. Drive people away from God. There are people so caught up in causes. Some of them are really good causes and noble causes. And there's nothing wrong with those causes. But if those causes are first in our lives before our identity of Jesus Christ and the cause of Jesus Christ, they are taking up entirely too much time. Because time is precious and it is valuable and the blood of Jesus Christ is much more precious than anything else. Our relationship with Him is so valuable and so precious. You are so valuable and so precious because Jesus died for you so that you could be free and you don't have to live entangled in that sin anymore. You can take on a new identity in Jesus Christ and when you have the new identity everything old is gone. It is put aside and you You don't have to live that way anymore. There are people that are convinced that they'll never get free from whatever they are affiliated with or tied to. Oh, well, these people expect me to, to be there for them. Talking about things that are not godly and things that are against the word of God. May I tell you that when you make a decision for Jesus Christ and you seek to follow him and you say, I will put on the new identity of Jesus Christ, then that means that, yes, he gives you everything you need to step from here to there. But you have some action and responsibility after that. You have to determine that I will live for Christ just like you determine that I'm, I'm not living for Christ and I'm pursuing all of these things, you have to start pursuing with a passion Jesus Christ. 
And the Bible tells us that we need to make sure that we don't have close, intimate relationships with people who are blatant sinners, which means that I'm not talking about friendships. I'm not talking about acquaintances. I'm talking about to the, air, to the, to the degree that you can be such close friends with them that they can influence you into other directions away from the cause of Christ, away from your relationship with Jesus Christ. Those things you've laid aside, you don't pick them back up. And how do you get past that? Because the first thing that the enemy of your soul does, when you come to Jesus Christ and you say, okay, I'm believing what this man's saying. I'm believing that I can have a new identity in Jesus Christ. I don't know how it's all going to work out. One of the first things the enemy does is says uh, in, in, to your mind, it makes you think these thoughts. Well, you're not really any different than you were before. You don't have to do everything. You don't have to be fanatical. You don't have to, you don't have to do all of these things. You, know? uh, you can just be quiet about this and not tell your friends. Let me tell you something. You have a responsibility not only to accept the freedom that you have, but to share that freedom with someone else and share your identity in Jesus Christ with someone else. When you get into the Word of God, and you listen to the Word of God, you read the Word of God, that will help you and establish and know what the Word of God says, and know, as I said, how to live your life in Jesus Christ. When you pray and you talk to Him, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. You don't have to have even a great education because God knows your heart. You just say the words that are in your heart and you talk to the Lord just like you would your closest friend because He'll be closer than any friend you have ever had. And then you plug into a Bible-believing church. If you're close enough to this church, if you're online, I want you to come here, plug into this church. I know being online is good, but if you can be here, it's even better. Amen. So you get into the Word of God. You pray. You involve yourself with influences that are godly and you leave aside the ungodly influences that will make you strong. How can we live our lives in our Christ identity to make a difference for God and not ourselves? We allow Christ to infiltrate our hearts so that we associate with people who are diverse or different from us. We all need to do that. If they're not saved, then we have a mission right before us. If they are a follower of Jesus Christ, then how can we get together and accomplish much for the kingdom of God and reach the lost for Jesus? We can depend on Christ's Christ influence and the Word of God to actively seek out people that we can include in our relationships in life, especially people that, might, that, that, we, might have, that we might have either had or been told negative things about. Sometimes we have preconceived ideas when we see somebody just because of the way they dress or because of, of anything else. Because of whatever upbringing that we might have had or whatever influences we might have had. When you look at somebody else, don't look at what you see. Because there's a soul in there. There's a soul in there. If they know Christ and live according to the Bible, then we need that spirit of inclusion to permeate our lives so that we can rescue those that are perishing in sin. And finally, we need to make sure that our identity in Christ has nothing added or taken away. 
You may have a vocation, but your identity is not your position in the company that you work for. You may have raw, have had raw, hateful and negative words spewed at you at some point in your life that keep haunting you and they keep coming back. But I can clearly and emphatically tell you today that that is not your identity. That is not who you are. My identity in Christ means that He alone is enough without anything or anyone else. I choose Christ. This means that even though I, have, I may have identified with other groups and people, my primary identity and the most important one and the only identity that has eternal significance is my identity in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ has the power to change lives from the inside out. Many times people try to influence people and place thoughts into their heads. This is what the enemy does. He places thoughts into their heads and tries to get them to change on the inside. But Jesus starts on the inside and He works from the inside out. That's why there are so many people that even though they, 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 they may look like they've got it together, they may think that everything is going okay and you may think that everything's going okay. On the inside, they're dying and they're hurting and they're, they're just in pain and agony in their soul. But Jesus, my friend, starts from the inside out and the Holy Spirit goes where the Word of God intends for Him to go and He uses you and me and our identity in Jesus Christ to pierce through the hardness and the darkness of sin and Satan's efforts in their lives. He sets you free. The old has gone and the new has come. Diversity, inclusion, and identity. The most important of which is identity in Jesus Christ because then He allows us to take care of the others as He did in the examples we read today. Would you pray? Father, I thank You for Your Word today. I thank you because it is a powerful word today. God, I thank you because even popular culture cannot solve the problem of sin. They cannot solve the, the desperation in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. Only you can. And Lord, I ask right now that you will deal with our hearts in the way that your Holy Spirit would just address those things in our lives that need to be addressed. Lord, I will put things aside that have nothing to do with eternal significance. All the hurt, the pain, I ask God that you will come in and change my heart and my life and renew me Help me to put the old man aside, the old spirit man aside, the old things that I was involved in, and I accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior in the name of Jesus. All the hurtful things from my past, that is not who I am. I thank you for my identity in Jesus Christ, and you alone are enough. Thank you for changing me. Thank you for setting me free. Lord, and I'm going to trust you to be able to take care of the rest. In the name of Jesus. 
Help me to be a witness for you for the cause of Jesus Christ. Even in places where it doesn't seem like it might be possible, Lord, let you open the doors. And I trust you to do that, to take down every preconceived idea or notion and just be walking in you in the identity of Jesus Christ so that I can make a difference where you want me to make a difference. Thank you for your leading and your guidance right now. In the name of Jesus.